Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We'll continue where we left off in the last discussion. We are finishing up with the intrinsic uh, qualities of the jiva. We are on the 35th Anucheta, dealing with four qualities that the soul jiva is eternal, unblemished, endowed with knowledge, and endowed with agency. Uh, we were reading in the commentary, and we'll continue from there. <clears throat> Give a little nutshell description of agency. <laughs> uh, the ability to have, well, to have choice. choices there, your will. You can choose one way or another, and uh, it gets a little it it gets it gets confusing. I think as we go through and as we also deal with the the next two anuchedas, it'll become a little more clear. The agency, I mean, as we were reading last week, and that's where we ended up with our discussion was Krishna's telling you that we think we're the doer within material nature, but material nature is actually actually performing all the acts. So how much agency do we have, one would ask. But we have a lot of agency. The agency regarding ourself, the main point that Krishna is making is when you have relinquished the proper understanding of your being and you've, and you've taken on an acquaintance with and an acceptance of this material situation as being yourself, then you've relinquished your true ownership of your being to material nature. And you're, you're relating with, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm a dog, I'm a cat, I'm a cow, I'm, we need more hay. I mean, we're, we're, relinquishing, we're relinquish, relinquishing our agency. And, the, and that agency exerts itself to a lesser or greater extent according to the influence of the modes of material nature. So one that's in the mode of ignorance, Thomistic, in nature primarily, they have very little, little, less agency than someone in the mode of passion. Those that are in the mode of goodness, they have more agency than the other two modes. And then, of course, one who is situated in transcendence, he's got what we would consider complete freedom. He's near guna. He's not under the influence of the gunas. So that gradation from total ignorance all the way up to what we would consider total knowledge within the jurisdiction of the individual self, is, is a shade of, of varying degrees. If we were to look at it to a, you know, a grayscale from pure black to pure white, pure white being freedom from the modes of material nature, like a Sukadev, like a, the Kumars. Well, now we're talking trans, transcendental. So I'm talking just within the jurisdiction of the material energy, we're going from ignorance up to knowledge, full knowledge, and no influence of the gunas up to somebody that's 
what we would call Jivan Mukta. They're just like us, but they're liberated entirely from the influence of the gunas. So they're Mukta, they're, they're liberated. And uh, one terminology that can be used is walking samadhi. Samadhi means their whole consciousness is not under the influence of the mind-body complex. They're entirely transcendental to it. They're walking through life, but they're not affected like by life. So we're affected to different degrees according to the influence of ignorance, and that ignorance goes from the mode of ignorance, passion, up to goodness, up to what we call pure goodness. But then there is another shakti that can have an influence upon the jiva. And that's the sarup shakti. And the Lord does have manifestations. He, he incarnates in different forms. He, he comes as a guru. So we can have an influence of a different shakti upon us. Right now we're under the influence of the bahiranga shakti, the external potency of the Lord. But we can come into the influence of his internal potency also. And he makes himself available more often than not. I mean, he, 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 he incarnates in every age. He incarnates, you know, in different forms. And he incarnates as the Manvantaras, who are simply here, the leaders of mankind, to lead us. And he incarnates in the form of the Bhagavad. That's also a form of the Lord. He is personally there. So then we're talking about taking taking it out of the gunas in, entirely. Now, the practicing devotee, they're kind of like in a very interesting situation because they may still be influenced by the gunas of material nature, but the more they surrender to Krishna, the less the gunas have any influence. So the fan can be unplugged, but we still can be going through the stages of bhakti from a you know from a nartha nivritti where we're still influenced by our prior conditioning up to the stage of nista and then we get a taste and then we get more of an understanding of krishna shakti and then bhava and then prem so there's that gradual elevation and from a topmost perspective if we were to completely stand back from where we are and look at the practice of devotional service it's viewed as running a needle through a few petals of a flower now we'd think well we just did it but it goes the needle is going through every one individually so from our time perspective, it may appear to take, you know, a few lifetimes, the process of devotional service. Who cares? I mean, really, if you look at it in the perspective of you've been here eternally, you can't trace out your beginning, then, then what's a few lifetimes in Krishna's service? And we can see different devotees take up the practice and are a different level of advancement according to the past influence of bhakti. There's samskaras. So we have samskaras on the material side and on the spiritual side. So 
How much agency? Well, we have a lot of agency about over what happens. Do we have how much agency? Well, Krishna says this material nature is basically rolling over you more or less. You have no control. Yeah, it's a fact. None of us are going to be able to stop the storm that's coming. No, none. Of, you could take all the all the jivas on the face of the planet, and they're not stopping a hurricane. They could all line up along the beach and you know do whatever they wanted, but hey, <laughs> yeah, don't come. You're not welcome in America. <laughs> Try that and see how it works. So, from the from from another perspective, you know, Krishna's saying. How much agency? Did you determine what body you were going to take? Did you determine where you were going to born, going to be born? Do you determine, you know, when the moon phases are and how they influence you? How much don't you determine? So on one hand, material nature is completely controlling us. On another hand, we can make some choices. We can become a Helen Keller. We can determine. Yes, sir. What about yogis that have like cities and they can create planets and can they can they control their karma to some degree? Yeah, to a very great degree. Mm-hmm. They can control the universe if they're if they're powerful enough. If they're a Haranyakasi Poo, if they're a Dhruva Maharaj, when Dhruva quit breathing once a month, a little air, the whole universe was suffocating. Please take care of this boy. He's he's uh, he's interfering. So one little five-year-old boy is interfering with the whole universal manifestation, and the demigods are like, "Whoa!" Or Haranyakasi Poo is uh, you know performing an austerities to such an extent that everybody he's burning up the universe. That much power is there. So that's a lot of agency. So both are there, aren't they? You know, but ultimately. Aranyakasi Poo couldn't conquer over the Lord's external potency. He could make a lot of arrangements, but in the end he was ripped to shreds. So how much agency did he have? He had a lot of agency. Did he have supreme agency? No. So Krishna's saying this material energy is working under my direction, creating the situations. People are being born and dying again and again. So, is that enough introduction? <laughs> you kind of give us as an idea. So let's go through this and kind of unfluff it a little bit more through the commentary. <clears throat> the agency of the pure self is also stated in Brahma Sutra. Quote, the self must be an agent because then only the scripture can be purposeful. You said, we have a choice. So, what would be the need of scripture if you didn't have some agency? You could either take advantage or you couldn't. So from the Brahma Sutra, it's saying because scripture is there and you can utilize it for your spiritual benefit, you have some agency. If the self had no agency, and if agency belonged only to Prakriti, then the injunctions of scripture would become futile because they would, be, they would not be applicable to anyone. No one could use it. So, for example, in Bhagavad Gita 1865, Sri Krishna commands Arjuna to become his devotee. 
If the self of Arjuna were devoid of agency, and if the body alone possessed that quality, then Krishna's instruction would be meaningless. Krishna is not requesting the material body to become his devotee. Yet, if the self were deprived of agency, it could not become a devotee. Since Krishna's statement is made in full knowledge, it cannot be futile. Consequently, it must be accepted that the self has agency. Agency also implies will. An agent can choose to follow an injunction or not. If an agent lacked the capacity of choice and were thus deprived even of the possibility of rejecting an injunction, there would be no need for such injunctions in the first place. The very word injunction would be rendered obsolete. Shijiva goes on to explain that when an action is undertaken for the pleasure of the body and senses, then the action is considered to be material under the gunas of prakriti. If, however, the action is performed for the pleasure of the supreme person, it is near guna and beyond the material qualities. From this, it must be concluded that action is possible for the jiva even in the liberated state. And this is an important point of this, of this whole presentation here. We even have agency in the liberated state. Thus, the whole concept of Advaitavad is defeated. Right? Because what would be the question of agency in the liberated state if in the liberated state we all became Brahman? We all just merged in the supreme Brahman. Well, what's the need for agency then? But agency is an intrinsic quality of the jiva. It never goes away. We can choose to give it up. We can choose to want to merge into the supreme and give up our free agency and become one with the complete qualityless aspect of the supreme. The Lord without qualities is, we call that Brahman. So the Lord has no shaktis. He has no agency himself. So that's their concept. There is a Lord that doesn't exert agency. He doesn't display his qualities. He doesn't display his qualities according to what? The mood of, his, of, of those people that approach him. Those that are preached, want to approach him without recognition recognizing his agencies and his agent they're allowed to do that he gives them how does agency what's their agency's relationship with action and how do those mm-hmm. kind of how do those work together agency and action for uh, for one or, conditioned by the external energy the extent to which the agency has freedom which would be our free will is according to our level of abandonment of ignorance. So if you're completely under the mode of ignorance, you in the, you're in the least. Well, if we look to the to the whole of material nature and look to the different bodies that are offered to the jivas, some of them have a tree can't walk, it can't go any place. Its its agency is very limited. It can't see. It can't. It has very limited agency, so we consider 
the lower living entities are more under the modes of nature or the mode of goodness. I mean ignorance. The ability to act like the ability to do something? The ability within within reason. Okay. Within reason. And our reason can go all the way to transcendence. Right. You know. So our ability to act is influenced by how much we buy into Maya's show, Maya's illusion. The more we buy in, the less actionable agency we have. And the less we buy in, as we begin to see there's more to life than simply taking, that we can become givers, that we can become lovers, the more we see to that extent, the more we have freedom. The more we can exert, you know, a positive aspect in the mode of goodness. But even that's binding. So goodness, passion, ignorance, from a transcendental viewpoint, what's the difference? They all bring you back to repeated birth and death. Repeated birth and death is no agency. You don't know what you just lose control. Now, you can become a yogi and become a city, but the problem is, yeah, it's just like any, any, anything that we're afforded from the material energy, you can lose it again. And you often do that because, especially the demigods, they don't, oh, this guy's becoming powerful. Maybe he wants my job. I'm not going to let that happen. Let me send some more Maya his way and all of a sudden all those yogic cities can fall away in an instant. It's it's like walking a tightrope. You have to be very talented to get up on it and then to navigate it. You can navigate it. A perfect yogi can navigate very effectively. But then you have to contend with the fact of this is still the external energy. And as Bhakti Ross just showed, somebody can tug your rope and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, you know, Maya and can come. And even for the devotee, that's there. Plus it's going to end, right? I mean, it's all temporary, even for the demigods. Go up and down. The living entity is traveling from the lowest to the highest to the lowest again. So you've already been there and done that how many times? We've all been demigods how many times? I mean, honestly, if you look at it, if we take the concept of a naughty and we play it out, there's probably little that we haven't done within the Lord's creation at one time or another. Yes? It is, to your question also, it's not, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not just like action that we do out here, it's also thinking and feeling and willing, those are also... Actions. So it's willing, 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 the doing follows. This follows. It's all just and that's like he was describing that the doing part is conducted by the mm-hmm. by the modes. Yeah, up to a point. For, for 
then we then we get into the whole now we're talking about two energies we're talking about we're talking about taking shelter we're taking shelter of either the illusory energy or the spiritual energy that's our biggest choice so taking shelter we have no choice of taking shelter you have to be under one shelter or another you're either going to be under the shelter of the external potency or the shelter of the internal potency. You, there's no question. But you can be under the illusion that you are controlling it all. I mean, Krishna is very merciful. And you're talking about yogis. The yogis think, it's me. I mean, go to the Kumbh Mela and, and see the, the Shivites come down from the mountains. They have some agency. They, they have their, you know, whatever. <laughs> They think they're the doer, and to a certain extent they are. They are various, you know, they're austerities. They have a lot of Shakti, and they, have a, they perform a lot of austerities, and they get Shakti, and it really gives them a sense of doership. I'm the doer, but they can't stop the hurricane. <laughs> I mean, unless they become so powerful that they're a, they're a, Hari, you know, a Haranyakasipu. And all those things that you can imagine are factual. If you could imagine planets that have, you know, wizards and dragons and all that up to a certain... This is... Krishna has, you know, a vast array of of planetary systems. And, you know, to us it would be very magical. That's when they come up with these things. It's all coming from something that maybe existed or... Yeah. It may be mixed up a little bit, but for the most part, yes. I mean, the demigod's life and the, I mean, we read in the Bhagavatam, even in the Bhagavatam itself, which is looking at everything from the Krishna perspective. Still, I mean, Twasta was was outraged at Indra and he, you know. He created demons in your hair, Brahmastras. So, I mean, there's, you know, all these all these mystic opulences and these verminical perfections, these are mystics. You know, they are, to us, wizards. They know how to chant the mantras perfectly with the perfect intonation, and, and there they have. They have created uh, somebody that can tell, can, R- Ritrasura, there he is. You killed my son? Okay, now watch this. And he chants a mantra, throws the ghee in the fire, and all of a sudden out comes a Vitrasura. What can Indra do about it? Well, he, he couldn't do much, except he got a mantra a little wrong. The intonation was a little different. And instead of creating a, an enemy of Indra, he created Indra's enemy, or however it's worded, but Basically, somebody that could kill Indra became somebody that Indra could kill just because the mantra wasn't chanted perfectly. It's like Mickey Mouse in the Fantasia movie, you know. All the brooms are are there working under his control. He puts on the wizard hat and he waves the wand and everything's working and then everything that was working under his control starts working against him. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but, you know, it's, it's the same thing. That little bit of, of intonation of the, of, the, of, the, of the mantra, a little wrong, and all of a sudden it doesn't matter if you have the wizard's hat on 
and and you have the wand, the brooms, have taken over. the brooms take over themselves, and you know. So, yeah, it's an interesting. It's yeah, we have how much do we have? We have a lot. How much don't we have? We don't. You know, it goes both ways. <laughs> yes. So the demigods are controlled by the modes of nature as well, like Kanash. To a certain extent, of course. I mean, look at Indra. He gets angry. Look at, you know, you're not going to feed me. You, I've given you all the reins to produce the thing. And every year you have a party for me. And I'm giving a big offering. And all of a sudden you're listening to this little bootloo boy. And he's not, he's not going to let, you're not going to do it because what he says? Well, let me show you. And he gets angry. And he exerts his power. And, you know. These demigods, they, come on, they don't have full control. They have a lot more control than we have, but they don't have full control. They can offend the Brahmins, and all of a sudden the Brahmins can, can put, uh, you know, vaginas all over Indra's body because he's so lusty for one of his wives. My gosh. You know, and then, then all of a sudden they turn into eyes. Well, okay, we'll give you a break. But, I mean, these are, con- what kind of a curse is that? And all this is in our Bhagavatam, which is only meant to give us a glimpse of what powers are there in the, in the hands of the demigods. But no, the demigods, are they acting under what Krishna wills them to, or they have their own, like, do they decide a lot, or how does... Well, it's an administrative post. If, if they don't conduct their affairs properly they will be impeached okay like so the sun doesn't get up. yeah like they can they have a realm of influence but there's also a job. Uh, right there's there's a rule book there so they're given the post according to capacity and and they can you know so, so sometimes they do have to be replaced sometimes they're off hiding and the other demigods have to put somebody in there like Indra would get afraid and he would hide he he'd go hide in a lake because some he'd offended somebody by lusting up to their wife and he'd go hide in the lake uh, I can't recall the exact leela but it's there in the Bhagavatam and he somebody else would have to take his place until he showed up again so yeah you have to stay you have to you have to. You still have to. There's, there's rules of conduct, and you have to stay within them. Otherwise, yeah, you're out of there. But they're there. They're for. They're only there for a term, a short term. Uh, one manvantara, which is seven to one cycles of the of the four yugas. To us, it's it's a long, long time. But that's that's the reign of the demigods, and then another manvantara and another group. Even Vyasadeva, Vyasadeva comes. There's a there's a Vyasadeva in every Bhagavantara. In this Bhagavantara, you know, we have Krishna Dwipaya and Vyas. But uh, his father was the was the Vyas. Two, two Bhagavantaras before that. So, these are posts. They're very very responsible living entities. They have a very very high place in, in the order of material government. If, however, the action is performed for the pleasure of the Supreme Person, it is near Guna and beyond the material qualities. From this, it must be concluded that action is possible for the jiva even in the liberated state.
In the principal verse of this section, that was from the Bhagavatam's 11th canto, 25th chapter, although it is said that an agent may be sattvic, rasic, or tamasic, it should be understood that it is only the activity that is characterized by those qualities and not the pure agent, the jiva. That's where it gets confusing. You know, wait a minute. Am I doing it or am I... Yeah, you're doing it. You chose to be under the influence of the modes of material nature and according to their influence upon you, you you're in... You're in Thomasic, Rajasic, or Sattvic activity, and Krishna outlines in the Bhagavad Gita what, how you eat, how you sleep, how you sacrifice, all according to the influence of the modes of nature. So, how much control do you have? That's why Krishna says this material nature is working under my direction, and that ultimately. You, within the modes of material nature, you're moving up and down the gra- the scale from higher to lower, but you're still under the influence of my external potency. It should be understood that it is only the activity that is characterized by those qualities and not the pure agent. The jiva is still 100% pure, and all these intrinsic qualities we've been reading are there. In him, he is not, not, he's entirely separate from this material illusory existence. He just doesn't know it. He's in the dream, Maya's dream, Maya's controlling. The physical body is said to be the immediate agent. The body is not just sattvic, rajic, or tamasic alone, but a combination of all three gunas. There is a rule that an injunction or a prohibition is first applied to a qualified object, and if that is not possible, then it is to be applied to its quality or modifier. Because the agents, the agent, the pure self, the essence of our existence, who is qualified by the activity, cannot be colored by the gunas. It really can't be affected. It is only the activity that is described as sattvic and so on. So that's why, it, it, you know, it says that really you're controlled by the modes of material nature. That really it's Prakriti that's doing everything because Prakriti's the master of these three gunas. So really, it's a very tenuous situation that we're in, even in the topmost level of like a demigod. It's still, even even the Brahmins, the people under the influence of the sattvic, the, the mode of goodness, to the nth degree, still, it's still material nature, it's still a place of birth and death, it's still a place where at any moment the other guna can rise up and, 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 and take over. Next, Sri Jiva explains the experiential capacity or effectivity, bhoktritva, 
is inherent in the Atma. So, now the Jiva is, this is the 20th quality. We're endowed with experiential capacity. We have the capacity to experience things. It seems like, well, wow, that's like obvious. <laughs> you know, I know I can experience things. But if we take if we take the the conception of the Brahmavadi who wants to merge in the Supreme, he wants to merge in what's what's the nature of Brahman? There's no qualities. Well, no qualities means nothing to experience. So again, by pointing out, by Jiva pointing out that this is actually an intrinsic quality, it's always there, it's never going anywhere else. It cannot be can take, taken away that this whole concept of, first of all, who would want to not experience all that can be experienced? Well, me, within the material energy, I don't really like even the best of what material energy has to offer. So therefore, there's a class of transcendentalists that say, let me turn it off. If I could turn it off, turn it all off, then I'll be happy. The Buddhists also think that way. Let me turn it all off. Well, that's, yeah, that's one half of it. That at least gets you to the the, state, the, the platform where you're not suffering for material life or enjoying for material life, which is just the opposite side. and always, It always ends in suffering anyway because no matter how much I get what I want, I can't keep it. No matter how much I get, I can't keep it. Even if I get all the yogic cities, there's a good chance the demigods are going to be envious, or somebody's going to be envious and and create a, a you know it'll become a tenuous situation. I won't keep them. I won't be able. In fact, Scripture tells me they're not permanent. Even the highest attainments in the material manifestation are not permanent. Even Brahma has to give up the post of Brahma. And he's got a long, long duration of life. Incalculable from our viewpoint. So this experiential capacity is extremely important. So Jiva speaks about this in this 36th Anucheta. Experiential capacity is rooted in the Jiva. Next to be considered, Jiva says, is experiential capacity, Bhoktritva, quality number 20. Now remember, these qualities were, were enunciated at the very beginning uh, by Jamatri Muni. He listed them all in four slokas, which is in the form of feeling or effect, samvedana and which culminates in the jiva alone who is conscious by nature you have to be have some awareness to experience things logical as bhagavan kapila says in the same section of the third canto referred to above know the purusha who is transcendental to prakriti to be the cause in experiencing happiness and misery well, that gives us a key of what Purusha 
Kapila Dave's talking about, right? He says the Purusha, and then he says happiness and misery. Well, we know the Supreme Purusha doesn't experience misery. He's never under the influence, under the influence of the modes of material nature. So here the term Purusha in the verse is referring to the Jiva. So we, we are to some small extent a Purusha of our little domains. Or we can be a Purusha, you know, a Guna avatar like a Brahma and have a big domain, a whole universe. He's, he's viewed by some as the supreme, Purusha, in regards to the material universe. You created it, hey, you're a Purusha. And he says, well, yeah, okay, but I had some help. You know, somebody whispered in my ear, and, you know, gave me some hints along the way, like tapa, tapa. Think about what you got to do and, and meditate. And then Krishna appeared before him and told him how to do it. We didn't have to tell him. He, he, he directly experienced. And that's what samadhi is all about. Is, and that, that we'll get to in the next Anucheta, which is how close we are to the Paramatma. So that experiential, uh, you know, there's also, as we know, um, what is the terminology here? Uh, prakyaksha. We have sensual input. Now that prakyaksha is generally referred to as um, vidusha, avidusha, avidusha paraksha. It comes through the material senses. Our experience comes through the material senses and impressions of the mind and how they interpret those senses. So, but there's all also, you know, Vaidusha Paraksha. And that's what God, that's his life. That's what he experiences. Him and his direct associates. So they also have experience. Yes. Where, where did the, the it, I've looked for this, I've heard this term, but I, and I looked it up and I can't find it. Is it, is it in Jiva? Is that where it's, it's in the Sandarbhas. It's in the Sandarbhas. Yes. Okay. I can find the verses that it's in, uh -huh. but we know that there's one verse it's in. Um, the verse is spoken by Krishna to uh, Arjuna. Um, Well, Raja Vidya Raja Guya. Right, it's in that. Idam, use by dusha, he uses Pratyaksha Gamamam. Yes. Right there. It's yeah. the same thing. The same concept. Yes. But I, that particular term, by dusha, I never heard the Abhadusha yeah. before, but I tried to find that to get a bigger picture and I couldn't figure okay. out where to go with that. Well, it's there uh, in the Tattva Sandarbha. Oh, okay. Okay. And where from the I can I can let you know where from the uh, from the Bhagavatam he what uh, yeah, what Bhagavatam verse he's using is or he may not be he may be using another Puran or sure. something but uh, yeah sure. these these concepts Vadusha Paraksha and Avadusha Paraksha mm -hmm. is referring to you know Avadusha is our Paraksha our sensory experience is is not pure the you know pure if you're in samadhi that's vadusha paraksha you're experiencing directly and we're going to have a lot of uh, we're going to have at least a 
literary introduction to what that means as deeply as we can through words in the next Anucheta. So we know which, uh, which Purusha's Kofila Dev is uh, talking about. Know the Purusha, who is transcendental to Prakriti, to be the cause in experiencing happiness and misery. These two lines are to be syntactically connected with the words know to be the cause found in the previous line of the verse. So it's a, it's a short Anucheta here. And we're at the commentary. To experience enjoyment or suffering, one has to be conscious. Therefore, the material body and mind, being inert, cannot be the subject of experience. The body is sometimes said to be the agent because actions occur through the body with the help of the mind and senses. Experiential capacity, however, is nothing but the awareness of the feelings of happiness and misery for which there must be a conscious being. Therefore, experiential capacity cannot belong to the inner body or mind. Here it may be noted that just as all actions occur in the physical body senses in the mind, so too the feelings of happiness and misery are also experienced in the mind. Your happiness is my sadness. You're hot and I'm cold. So it's in the mind. We're, we're in the same condition, but, you know, we're, we're experiencing life differently in certain instances. We're not in sync. You know, I may think the light's too bright and you may think it's too dim. You know, I'm getting old, so the light's very dim. You're probably <laughs> saying, why is the light so bright in here? So, I mean, it changes our, our sensual experience. Um is different according to our mind and senses. It's not all the same. Some person can be fearful for their life and the other person's like, what are you afraid of? <laughs> you know. So this is the common experience of all human beings in life. It was explained earlier, every experience is in the form of a chitta vritti, a state or modification of the mind. Why then does Bhagavan Kapila make a distinction between agency and experience, relegating the first to Prakriti and the second to the Purusha, the conscious self? The ultimate cause of both is the Purusha, which, but while action and hence agency is visible even in the material body, feelings are deeper and more subtle, being experienced only within the mind. Moreover, it is obvious that a machine that is capable of performing some work cannot have feelings. The body is comparable to, comparable to a machine that carries the purusha. So basically, uh, what the commentators are saying here is that um, there's a certain way that the scriptures present things. And they present the material agency is really the doer. Krishna even says in the Bhagavad Gita, you know, you think you're the doer of actions that are actually being done by material nature alone. So you're, the real agency is in material nature. Why are you thinking you're the doer? I've already killed everybody on the battlefield. You can either cooperate with my program or not. That's your choice. 
do what you want to do. That's your, you know, you have free will to do what you want to do. But I've already done it all. Seems like, well, what do you mean? I, you've done it. I, you want me to do it? I mean, what? Where do I fit into this? But again, it's a matter of of choosing. Do you want to be, you know, do you want to work according to your direction, where you want to go, or do you want to surrender to Krishna? You can either be under the influence of his external potency or his internal potency. They're his potencies and he's controlling them. You may think you've got a say in the matter. But if you do come under the influence of his internal potency and become his lover, then he loses, he forsakes his agency in that exchange. I'm purchased by my devotee. How unique is that? What's he mean? God's no longer God and you're, you've become God over God? Well, he does kind of say that, but it's in that loving exchange. How much you have to be pure to be in that state where he would surrender to you, well, that's a Radharani. He's fully surrendered to Radha. So who has the agency there? Again, this is, this is subtle transcendental knowledge that by the grace of you know Lord Chaitanya's merciful dispensation we can get a glimmer of, of, a, of, a, of a level of spiritual exchange that's unimaginable from our vantage point within his external energy but that doesn't mean we can't have a glimmer and the glimmer will become brighter and brighter the more we engage and purify our consciousness and that's the end of the 36th Anucheta. Next discussion, we will go on to the 21st intrinsic quality. We are by nature always an integrated part of Paramatma. So that'll be the 37th Anucheta, the 21st quality, and then we'll go on to a very extensive analysis of the material nature, Bahiranga Shakti. So Paramatma Sandarbha deals with Paramatma directly, the Jivatma, the Tatasta Shakti of Paramatma, and the material energy, the Bahiranga Shakti. Any questions? Yes. So, where does free will come into play if we're not the doers and everything's being controlled by the modes of nature? And is it everything predetermined and, or predestined? Or this? How much control do we agency do we have? According to to the degree to which we are under the control of the modes of material nature, we have lesser or greater agency. If we're in ignorance, we have less, the least. Give up your agency to intoxication or sleeping all day and not doing anything, being inactive. Eventually you lose capacity of if I put my arm up in the air and never take it down, after a while I'm not going to be able to use it. And if we're in the mode of goodness, uh, you know, working for the benefit of you. So to that degree, we apparently have freedom within the material energy up to the point of the demigods who have control over material energy to a certain extent. Ultimately, 
the battle of Kurukshetra is going on and Krishna already knows the outcome. He knows he wants it to come out this way and he's going to arrange for it to that way. So how much do we have? We have some. We can be with Krishna or we can be without Krishna. We can think we're the agent. Within material nature, we're not. This is this is not our place. We're a fish out of water. How much can we swim when we're not, you know, in our natural environment, which is should be Krishna's internal spiritual potency? It's it's a very complex, complex, difficult thing. How did we get here? How much is it influencing us? Well, you know, if the place is on fire, get out of the house, and we'll we'll talk about how the fire started. And we'll talk about to what extent, you know. That's why we're reading the Sandarvas. We're trying to get a get a grip upon how how this how these different energies of Krishna work and by having that understanding to a greater extent, gradually we we come to appreciate, you know, what Krishna is doing, how much he's exerting his agency. So you find out Krishna really has a lot to do with what's happening in material nature again and again. Yada, yada, he, dharma, shya, glani, bhavati, bharatara, I come, I send my devotees, I come as gunavatars, I come as, you know, I create the universe for you, I come as lila avatars, I come as manvantaras, I come as, you know, yuga avatars, and every yuga I appear. So how much am I going out of my way to, to try to, to extract you from this illusory existence where you think you're the doer. But it's actually, I'm doing. Uh, I don't really understand the difference between experiential capacity and the knowledge capacity. Don't, that, that's a capacity too, right? Yeah. What, is there a simple way to say what the difference is between those two things? Because I can experience something and I know it. Like, they, you know, does that mean, I mean, I don't well, I think there's a difference between knowing and experiencing something. I okay. can know, I can know that a sweet ball's tasty. Right. I can say I had one before and it tasted good, and here's another one. And if I taste that one, it's probably going to be good. Okay. So I can know about it, but to experience it, I actually engage it with my senses. So it's like a know, knowing is, but it, it's beyond just the the faculty of the material mind somehow. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. That, I guess. But maybe. you can experience knowing. <laughs> yeah. You can experience knowing. Maybe that's where I get muddled. Because I experience, when I know, like, yeah. You're experiencing knowing. Yeah. So I, I guess they're part, he's parsing that, those apart. The knowledge, information somehow is, that can have information, knowledge. Well, you can experience something. You can either learn from it or not. You can acquire knowledge from it, or you can just experience it. Or like, like I've, I've thought about this before. Like you, you have this anadi karma. So if ultimately, the the idea, the way I understand it, is we finally learn the lesson that we don't want to be in the material world anymore. Right. Let's and hope so. Yeah. Not everybody does. But that 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 kind of implies that there's some sort like. So some forms of knowledge or information that I get, like I know my name, my address, but you know I might go senile or something, and I don't know that stuff anymore. And then when I take another birth, I don't know, you know, who I was, my last life. So, many, so much information gets lost. Right. Way. 
but there seems to be some idea that like there are lessons or these sort of knowledge. That's why knowledge is one of the intrinsic qualities. Mm -hmm. There is that knowing, and you know. But then, you know how in, the capacity to have knowledge is there, and you know as far as then we get into samskaras. There's material samskaras and spiritual samskaras, oh. and Krishna talks about about the spiritual samskaras in Bhagavad Gita. Oh. You know that that you never, whatever advancement you've made, that's uh -huh. never going to be diminished or taken away from you. Mm. Now you can choose to to set it aside, but the fact that you've endeavored spiritually. That's a that's a what do they say permanent bank account? Right. We're talking about you know so there's permanence to the not to spiritual transcendental knowledge mm. that's not there in material knowledge which comes and goes as you said with the body mm. and with the influence of the modes according to what body we take. Okay. But Gajendra, all of a sudden he's in an elephant's body, but he's remembering prayers from a prior lifetime. Right. Yeah. So I mean. So Krishna says that in the Bhagavad Gita. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a, it's a permanent. Wow. But they are <clears throat> really similar, because it's said too, like to know me is to love me. Uh -huh. So once you know something, right. So they are mm. uniquely connected. Yeah. But one does not necessitate the other. You could know and have experience. Yes, I can tell you. I can tell you if you put your hand in the fire, it's going to hurt like hell. But even on a jiva level? You don't have to listen to me. You may experience. Experience, what do they say? An intelligent person can learn from hearing. A less intelligent person from learns from experience. So what's the vidya? What's what's that? Is that supposed to be realized? How do you realize without experiencing? Mm. You can, yeah. Well, that's that's the nature of of transcendental knowledge, or actually material knowledge too. It's, you know, you have the you have the good sense of saying, well, I trust, I have faith that I'm getting a proper information here, so I won't stick my hand in a fire. I've been told it's going to hurt. So I don't need to do it. So you could say, well, experience is the best teacher. Well, a lot of people say that experience is the best teacher. But don't you wish you could teach your kids without them having to not experience everything you did? That's what we'd want, but you know, it doesn't happen like that so often. All right. Complicated things. <laughs> Thank you so much for your association.